Well, we're going to move to communion in just a few moments. I want to share briefly, if I may, from Matthew chapter 6. And if you would, uh, turn there and we'll begin to look at that text. Continuing to prepare our hearts for what the Lord uh, has for us this morning. Uh, we've been doing a, I've been doing a series on uh, the greatest sermon ever preached. And as you know, now this is the ninth or the tenth um, segment of that on the Sermon on the Mount, which is the greatest sermon uh, ever preached. And um, to sort of get us back into the flow of that, remembering that uh, Jesus came announcing the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. He came announcing um, that the kingdom is available to every human being. Now, the religious folks didn't get that. They wanted it to be just for them. But Jesus said, no, the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it was as close as the air that you breathe. And to, to, to receive that required a change of mind. Matthew 4, uh, 17 and following said, re, Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. So repentance, you know, we get hung up in repenting because I got this habit and, I, you know, I got to repent of smoking or, you know, you fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. Repentance is more accurately understood as a change of mind in order to embrace what is new. And the church gets hung up on what is old. And God wants to give us what is new. It isn't that we shouldn't repent of specific things that are displeasing to God. But it is true that more importantly, we need to change and embrace the Father who loves us and has made atonement for us through the person of Jesus. So changing your mind and believing the good news is where the sermon actually starts. Now, if you've been with us, we won't go over all of this. But Jesus began to teach in contrast. And the contrast were between the old righteousness and this new kingdom heart that God was instilling in his people through the coming of Jesus and having a relationship with him. You remember Jesus talked about the old righteousness. Those who who didn't murder felt that they were pretty righteous. I haven't murdered anybody. Look at me. And Jesus said, well, let's look at your heart because God is more interested in your heart and where that is. So you might want to begin to look at uh, your contempt and your anger and your hatred toward other people. You've heard it said in times of old, thou shalt not kill. But I say, you know, whoever is angry. And so it was all through the contrast with adultery, look at your heart with lust and and fantasized desire. And, uh, oh, you think you're righteous because you haven't because you have given your wife a certificate of divorce. But I say to you, God is interested in having kingdom relationships with, with the people around us. So and so it goes. The old righteousness then was uh, contrasted to the new righteousness, um, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is in your midst. The kingdom of God is within us. So Jesus was, in fact, demonstrating and teaching that the new righteousness was about a heart that was touched by the king, or to say it differently, where the king comes into the heart and makes it new. So we get the privilege then through the new covenant 
because of forgiveness of sin, Jesus takes our sin and separates it from us so that the Holy Spirit can then come live in our hearts and direct us in through the, the, the levels of life. So um, turn to Matthew 6 if you've not yet done that. And let me just look at a couple of things this morning. And what we're talking about is the community of prayerful love. Uh, last week we looked at uh, giving. Don't do your giving in order to be seen by men. Uh, don't do your charitable deeds. Uh, blow the trumpets like the hypocrites, etc. And now we come to actually uh, verse uh, 5. And let me just read it. Jesus said, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the corners of the street in order that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, that's all they get. In other words, they have their reward. Verse 6, But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees you in the secret place, He will reward you openly. Verse 7, and when you pray, do not use vain repetitions uh, as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things that you need even before you ask Him. Therefore, verse 9, pray like this, or in like manner, pray or this is the kind of way that i want you to pray our father in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come let your will be done on the earth as it is in heaven give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some manuscripts then add and have, as the New King James says that I'm reading, for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said together, Amen. Okay, now let's just take a few moments before we move into communion and talk about this community of of prayerful love. Now, I'm not going to spend a lot of time digging real deeply here, but Jesus gives his disciples four cautions or principles about this notion of prayer, what it means to live in a community, um, a loving community of prayer. And uh, so I'll just list them here. The first one, he says, don't pray in order to be seen by people. Now, that does not mean you shouldn't pray where people see you or I'd be out of a job. I mean, see, that's not what it's meaning. It's not meaning don't pray where, where people will see you praying. It, it, by the way, I pray more than where people are around. Uh, but, but what Jesus is saying here is don't pray in order to be seen by people. And that was the contrast that Jesus was looking at. Those who uh, were, were doing certain religious activities in order to be seen. And to them, Jesus said, they have all they're going to get. Why bother praying if you're praying in order to be seen? Secondly, Jesus said, your father is in secret 
and he sees what is done in secret. That's good news, bad news, isn't it? He sees everything. Everything is open before him. And, and he says, when, you, when the, the Father who is in secret, when you go into the secret place, when you pray in secret, your Father who is in that secret place, he sees the secrets of your heart. Now, beloved, this is about a prayerful community. This is about what prayer really means. And Jesus, if he was saying anything, he was contrasting the way some people prayed in order to be seen by people versus those people who simply have a confident hope that when they pray, the God who sees in secret will bless and and manifest his presence openly. He sees in secret. If there's anything that encourages me in my prayer, it would be that, that God understands the whispers of my own heart. I used to think that I had to pray with people more and more. Or if it was the amount of time uh, that I prayed with other people. Other people and praying with other people is important. But Jesus went on and said, don't use vain repetition because that's not going to help your praying. In other words, it's not the time that you're praying. It's not even whether you come every Wednesday night to pray. It means that the heart that's been touched with prayer, the heart that's been touched by the kingdom, the heart that has the king living within a new heart, that's the person who doesn't have to use vain repetition in order to be heard because they know something about the king in them and their prayer is happening a lot. Now, Paul used the words pray without ceasing. I don't think I've hit that mark yet. But I do know that as I walk through my day, when I arise in the morning, the first uh, phrases that come out of my mouth are phrases of praise. And all through the day, you know, as I'm driving, you know, as I rise up and lie down, as I walk on the way, as, as I'm at work, when I'm interacting with people, when I find that I'm anxious about something or worried or something's on my mind, there is this dialogue that's going on with the Lord all the time. Anybody else do that? Three? Come on, I know more than that, do you? You do that because many of you are praying people, and it's just breath prayers that you're uttering all the time about your wife, about your husband, about your kids or grandkids, about your parents, about the nation, about all those things that are on your heart. Jesus said, um, don't use vain repetition, but have confident, courageous faith in the God who sees and the God who hears. And then the fourth thing that Jesus said is the Father knows your needs even before you ask. Therefore, you don't have to keep asking. What would it be like if you had a father? I am a father. And my son or my daughter would come to me and he would ask for something. And, uh, and before I had the chance of getting it for him... Uh, presuming it was something that seemed like a legitimate concern, um, he would keep he would ask me again and and then again. And, and then it's like, what's with you? See, vain repetition, trying to get our way as if we can manipulate the father. There's a better way than trying to manipulate your father. That is to believe that when you speak in secret, he knows your needs before you ask. And when you lay hold of that, simply ask him with courageous faith. And Jesus said, it shall be yours. Now, ask in faith, believing his character. So Jesus 
a number of what he's not doing here. Jesus is not giving a new law for how to pray. Now, there were those in his time that wanted a law. See, and he's contrasting them to the kingdom heart. But he's not giving us a law of prayer. And Jesus is not giving us a formula for prayer. Pray this way. That's not what he's doing. Uh, Jesus is not giving us a new method of praying. Now, this may hurt somebody's feelings. And you may disagree with me, and that's okay. But the Spirit of the Lord has quickened this one to me, that Jesus is not giving words to be used like superstitions. In other words, if I say these words, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be. If I say those words, I'll say, God always hears that prayer. No, that can really just be a superstition that if I say those words, somehow I will get my way. It doesn't work like that, folks. You can't pray the Lord's prayer and hope to get the answers of the Lord because you've said those words. Why? Because God isn't interested in the rote, the formal, the external. And some of us are stuck there. God is interested in the internal, the kingdom reigning in the heart and leading us into an interactive relationship with each other. He knows your needs and he wants to meet those needs more than you want your need to be met. Jesus is giving us a model prayer. He said, pray like this, a simile. He's pray like this because there's a kingdom heart and a relationship involved. So therefore, pray like this. So let's look at some of those those likes. And I wish we could spend the rest of two hours on those first two words, because the first pronoun, which is plural, is our You see, that's where the relationship begins. It's not your father. It's not, oh, God, who is far off. It is that you have relationship. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this because God's released a spirit in you, a kingdom in you. The kingdom of God is at hand. And now you have personal relationship with him. If, in fact, you've come to Jesus. If, in fact, you've surrendered your life before him, the king is living in you. Therefore, you can come to your father as my father, our father. But notice father. He's adopted us into his family. We're his children. We don't live like it all the time. We think that God's far off. But Jesus said, pray like this, our daddy. Now, let's talk about where daddy is. In the New King James, it says, our father who art, that means who are, who who is in heaven. And that seems way far off. But that's not what the Greek says. It says our father uh, who is in the heavens. When God created In Genesis, the heavens and the earth, the hashman, the heavens, God created it from the very lowest point to the very furthest point up. God created it all. This, I think, is a parallel to Genesis 1-1 where God created the heavens uh, and the earth. And Jesus said, when you pray, pray our Father, the one in the heavens. That means God is not just in the third heaven. 
God isn't just in the second heaven. God's in the first heaven, cooperating, if you, if you will, or illustrating what Jesus said. The kingdom is as close as the air that you breathe. So he's saying, when you pray, pray like this. My daddy, the one who is in the heavens and as close as the air that I breathe. Do you see how that's different than many people, American Christians for sure, understand who God is as formal and secondly, far off, our Father in the heavens, hallowed be your name. And that just means praise, praiseworthy. It means he's holy. It means that God is worthy of our praise, he's worthy of our honor, and he's worthy of thanksgiving. Now, I don't know if you can see this little arrow over here or there. Now, what Jesus is saying, when you come to your father, no, he's, his, he's your daddy, and he's as close as the air that you breathe, uh, and give him, begin with praise. That's when I rolled out of bread. God, thank you for the gift of a new day. <laughs> Lord, how I, I just bless you today. I'm walking, Lord, but it's, it's what we do because we know we have a daddy who's close to us. And it's this relationship, vertical relationship, this interactive relationship that he's interested in. And some of you are ignoring your father. Did that communicate? (laughs) He wants you to come and be with him. My father in the heavens right here. You're worthy of praise. Let your kingdom come let the domain of your kingship come to the earth as it is in heaven you see let your kingdom come jesus was saying when you pray because you have access to your daddy and he's yours by relationship you can begin with praise and then you simply ask for his purposes, his will, his heart, his kingdom to be manifested upon the earth. And guess where that starts? Anybody got a clue? Starts with me. Let your kingdom, let your rule be demonstrated in my life. Let your will be done on the earth in the very same way that's being done in the heavenly realm. In the heavens. And that's this little arrow that, well, God, bring what is now reality up there into our existence. Thirdly, petition. Lord, you know we have need. There's not a person in this sanctuary who does not have a specific need. Now, many of your needs are probably met, but all of us have needs. Jesus said this is the place. You start with intimacy, with relationship, our Father, the one right in the heavens and right here now. Hallowed be your name. We give you praise. Let your kingdom come. And now give us today what we need. It's not all dependent upon you. It's not all dependent upon how much money you have in the bank. It's give us what we need today. Our daily bread. From him. But see this other one, this other little arrow? I don't know if you can see it down and sideways. We can pray and appropriate from heavens not only our needs, but the needs of other people around us. Let your kingdom come in my life and upon the earth. That's a legitimate way of praying. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now that sounds this is this doesn't sound new covenant to us. And the fact of the matter is the covenant had not yet been cut. 
in that Jesus has not yet died. So don't get hung up on what Jesus is saying. You know, I'm only going to be forgiven if I forgive. No, what he's really saying here is when you have a kingdom heart, the flow from the king, which is forgiveness, will be very easily released into the lives of other people. Forgive us our debts. Yes, because we're actively forgiving uh, those uh, around us as well. And then finally, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I could have spent an hour, really, on each one of these, but that's not my purpose. But, but here's what I want you to get. God is not giving us a formula. Uh, he's giving us, actually, he's calling each one of us into relationship with him. Now, let me look as we end here just with a couple of ideas. The love of God is what Jesus is holding out to the people on the hill. And it's what he is holding out to the people today, right where you are. To, to love God and respond to his love for us. Uh, this is an interactive relationship. If your relationship is kind of sterile and stodgy and stale, uh, God wants to renew it. That's one of the reasons I had people come up here. God wanted to renew something and release something. So this is an interactive relationship. This is God's love for me. Uh, and it goes somewhere. We see a little line. Once we recognize, once we have our hearts open to his love, it goes somewhere. And that is we're obliged to begin to love other people. Well, this kind of sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? This sounds like the heart of God. When a people begin to recognize they have an interactive relationship with God because he loves them and it's not good enough just to be loved by him and love him in return. God calls us to love other people or to have an intimate connection with him. And oh, by the way, uh, that's what the great commandment says. What's the greatest of all of the commandments? Love God. With all of your heart, mind, soul, and strength, because he first loved you, and love other people, which is the great commandment. We find it a number of places, but Luke 10 is one of them. Now, notice this goes somewhere. Not only do we love other people because God first loved us, but he tells us to go and do something with this love. It's illegal, if I could use that term. To receive God's love and not give it away to other people and not have an impact making disciples. That's the great. Let's go ahead and complete it here. Whoop. The great commission. You see, we love God. We respond to his love. We share his love with other people. We go and we make disciples because God wants to have local and global impact. Now, how's he going to have local impact or even global impact? He's going to send people. Like you, Lynn, and your husband, Asif, into the global, global uh, marketplace. How's it going to have local impact? Anybody takers? God wants to have local impact through the people who respond to his love and share it with other people and have intimate connections with other people. And that gives them an opportunity to have local or glow and or global impact. And I'll end then with this. This is God's mission for his world. 
for God so loved the world that he gave so that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life and become engaged in God's process. It's God's mission. It's also our vision. That's what we're about. Somebody said, I don't know what you're about because you haven't been through our new member class in, in, in a while. This is what we're about, loving God because he first loved us and then risking him to love other people because he loves them too. And when I connect with other people in the house and outside of the house, I have impact that only God can do with the people who say yes to him. Now, I want to bring my wife up for just a minute. Jim, if you turn that microphone on and hand it to Cynthia. Um, I asked, I could have literally chosen almost anybody um, to share how they pray and what are some of the... Um, some of the ways in which they pray and what are some of the, the things that happen when they pray. My wife, Cynthia, for those of you who don't know her, she's my better half. <laughs> and uh, she's a nurse in one of the hospitals here in town. And this lady astounds me the way she prays on sight, within sight. Share, share just one of the latest things that happened. Well, this was a really special experience and um, it, it really became more special afterwards. I went to work. I get there about 6.20. I got my assignment. And um, my assignment was room 210 to room 218. No big deal. I get six patients, and that's what I get. And as I was writing up my little report of all those different patients, one of the nurses came up to me, and she said, I was here yesterday, and um, I had room 218. You weren't here yesterday. Would you take 219 instead of 218? I went, no big deal. I don't know either one of them. So I went ahead and I took room 219. Okay, so the day goes on. And it's always a busy day. If any of the members here have seen me on the floor, it's like I'm on roller skates just trying to get it all done. But it was towards the end of the day and I went to room 219 and... Um, I hadn't realized it, but one of the doctors had been in to see her, and she'd gotten some bad news. And when I went in, she was very, very flustered. It wasn't hard to observe that she was troubled. And um, I had not had a great connection with her all day. I would had a connection, but not a great connection. And so I reached out to her and um, had a few minutes of prayer with her. And then we were able to contact her son, who she had not been able to get a hold of. And it was a really sweet time. Well, I went home. And the next day, I had to go back to the hospital because I was teaching a class. So I wasn't there working with patients, but I was teaching a class. And as I spent time with the Lord that morning, it was like God said to me, Hey, you didn't have 219. That wasn't your assignment. And I went, Oh, God, you wanted me to have 219. You had 219 on your heart. I couldn't wait to get to the hospital and teach my class and then run into the room. And I can't even remember the woman's name. I'll call her Marion. I went in there and I said, Marion, God was thinking of you because you weren't my assignment. God switched the assignment. And he gave me you. God was thinking of you. 
Now, here's what I want to end with. You, every single one of you, have a room 219. Every single one of you. It may be the next door neighbor. It may be the clerk at Walmart. It may be the lady on the street. It, it just, it can be a thousand different things. I don't care if you're little or big, if you're young or old, you have a room 219. Let me introduce Tim Livingston real fast. Uh, He and some others have been involved with our uh, new young adult ministry that has been meeting downtown. And um, this past Thursday evening, they were encouraged to go out and pray through the city. And um, I asked Tim if he had anything he wanted to share about that. So he said, yeah, I got a little story. So, Okay, so we met on the uh, federal building steps right in front of the river there with the beautiful water fountain. And our young adult group started to, to worship and pray. And then we, Michael gave us about ten strategic points to go and pray for. So we broke up into groups. And my group went out to uh, towards First Presbyterian and went down Third Street. And just as we're walking around, I, I was praying in my heart, Lord, there's so many people out here. Is there anyone that you want us to minister to specifically? And I just got this picture in my head of, the, of, of a Civil War cannon that I've seen along the river walk there uh, along Cape Fear River. And I just almost dismissed it. But I thought, oh, maybe that's the Lord speaking, speaking to me about maybe there's somebody you know, that we need to, to speak to there. And um, so I just submitted it to my group. I said, hey, guys, I, it's kind of a strange idea got this picture of a cannon. Do you think we should go uh, maybe try to minister to somebody there? And they agreed. And so we, uh, we headed that direction. And uh, as we were looking around for this cannon, I saw a guy walking, walking along the river. And I said, hey, hey man, have you seen a, a Civil War cannon along here? We're, uh, we're kind of looking for it. And I said, I, yeah, I think I've seen it around here somewhere. Um, what are you guys doing? Oh, we're, uh, we're, we're, we're doing a prayer walk. We're walking around praying for different sites in downtown Wilmington. And, um, and I just felt like the Lord highlighted him and, and said, uh, you know, you ought to pray for him. So I, I said, hey, do you mind if we pray for you? I know that's all kind of strange, you know, running into us like this. And uh, he said, no, that'd be great. And it turns out he just moved here uh, not too long ago and, and was trying to find his bearings. And so we just uh, prayed a simple prayer. And I, I said, uh, in my prayer, I mentioned Jeremiah 29:11, for I know the plans that I have for you, says the Lord, plans to give you hope and a future and plans to prosper you and not harm you. And he said, after we finished praying, he said, the Lord has been really, uh, I've been thinking about that verse all the time. It's one of my favorites. And, and it was just real encouraging to him. And he came back with us and, and finished the night as, as we worshiped in front of the federal building. And uh, so we, we got the opportunity to encourage him, and he encouraged us. Thank you, Tim. It, it, you know, that's why I prayed for some who are up here to step across the chicken line. You know what I mean? Because God can say he's, he's doing something, but if we don't, you could say, oh, yeah, we're just hanging out downtown. Nothing would have happened. Well, good. Have a great hangout. And he'd have gone his way and you'd have gone your way. Um, Ariel, let me introduce you real fast. Um, Ariel Boltinghouse, she's, uh, come on up. Uh, she has actually moved here to be involved with Power Camp and then Young Adult, and, and we have yet to see all the ways. Um, Ariel, tell us what you experienced real fast in the same group, uh, the Young Adult thing downtown. So my group, um, it was Abby and Michael and Gabby, and we were on our last 
um, site that we were praying for on Thursday, and we went to the loft where we go to worship every Thursday night. And we just decided to just go and bless the building and bless what God was doing. And um, then Michael was like, well, do you guys want to get a drink? And we're like, okay. So we actually went right next door into the convenience store that's right next to the loft. And as soon as we walked in the store, I instantly felt the delight of the Lord. And I was like, oh, Jesus is on this place. I'm like, maybe it's from a worship. Maybe it's from just praying. But I was like, I can really feel God in here. And so we got our drinks, and we were just looking around. We went to check out, and the Lord said, I want you to give this man an encouraging word. I want you, I want you to prophesy over him. And I was like, okay, no problem. Um, and so... <laughs> And so um, we go up, and, and Abby and Michael are making really good conversation with them, and we're just like, yeah, we're just right next door to you. And, and um, we worship every Thursday night, and we're here praying. And, and then I asked him, I was like, well, you, are you the owner of the store? Because I felt like he was. And he was like, I am. And um, it turns out that he had, he's a Christian. He loves the Lord, and he actually plays, like, Christian music in the store all the time, and I think that's where you can really feel, like, the presence. And we got to pray for him. He let us pray for him in the store. I got to prophesy over him, and he was just really encouraged, and our agenda was just love. Like, we didn't have any other thing to do but to go out and love and pray for people, and I think that's what made it easy, is God opens the door when you don't have an agenda, and when you have your eyes on him, you're like, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? And so we just walked in that, and it was, it was a great experience. So. Thank you, Ariel. So we don't love people in order to get them converted. We love them because we're converted. And God does something in that. Now, I just want to end with just alluding to Jennifer Lineberry. Raise your hand. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. She's, she's been a prayer warrior for a long time. And she went to my mother, Jenny Mattis. Raise your hand. Um, here we go. And enlisted her to pray for um, every uh, widowed person in the congregation. And my mom does that uh, every day. Now, Jim and I know that there are so many other people that pray and have strategic prayer and group prayer and, and callings to pray. And uh, we literally could have had dozens and dozens of people share testimony. But that wasn't the purpose to have everybody share. But just to say, when, when God pray, when we pray, when we have that interactive relationship, we begin to connect then with other people in love. And that gives us impact in the culture. And... Every place you work, are those room 219s? You may not forget. You'll forget everything I said, but you won't forget room 219. Each of you have a destiny to share. Now, we're going to do communion, and we've gone, we'll go over probably 10 minutes or so, and uh, that's the way it is sometimes. Uh, let's, just, let's just pray, and uh, we'll ask the Lord to bless our time. And as we uh, come for communion... I'm going to ask you to be mindful of all that Jesus did uh, and then um, give him all that you know about yourself for what he wants to do with you. Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, he took bread uh, with his disciples and he broke it, saying, this is my body broken for you. Uh, Do this in remembrance of me. And after Jesus had eaten with his disciples, he took the cup 
and pouring it, pouring it out, he said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for you. As often as you drink of this, do this in remembrance of me, in remembrance of all that I have done for you. Father, thank you for giving us the celebration of this feast to remember who you are and in remembering you, remembering who we are. Set these common elements apart for their divine uh, purposed uh, instruction, God, so that we might participate in really meeting with you here uh, in these last few moments as well. We bless you and we thank you in the name of Jesus.